We've been in a series over the past while in uh, the book of Mark, the Gospel of Mark, which is pretty short, pretty snappy, and we find ourselves this morning in Mark chapter 12, so I'd invite you to turn there. We're looking at some verses that are actually very relevant to us um, on a gift day Sunday. So it's Mark chapter 12, verses 41 to 44. The words will come up on the screens beside me if you don't have a Bible with you, but I'll read these, just a few verses, and then I'm going to pray. We're going to look into this together this morning. This is what it says. Verse 41 of Mark chapter 12. And he, that being Jesus, sat down opposite the treasury and watched the people putting money into the offering box. Many rich people put in large sums. And a poor widow came and put in two small copper coins, which make a penny. And he called his disciples to him and said to them, Truly I say to you, this poor widow has put in more than all those who are contributing to the offering box. For they all contributed out of their abundance. But she, out of her poverty, has put in everything she had, all she had to live on. Father, thank you again this morning that we come before the God who is both a generous God and our provider. And God, I recognize in my own heart that I so often want to look kind of to my wallet or my bank balance or material things, these possessions, as my provider, as the provider of my stability, the provider of my security, the provider of my future. Father, forgive me for those times. There'll be many around this room that could relate to that. God, we want to know you as our provider, you as our anchor. as our stability, as our rock. And uh, God, I do pray that you would do a work in us this morning. God, you have, you have spoken this church into existence, God. This is, this is something that you have done. And God, even as a church where, we, um, where there are many of a younger generation in this church, God, we, we want to know this now. We want to take these steps now, God, of living generously, of being faithful with what you have entrusted to us God, do that among all the generations represented in this room. But God, I I particularly pray it uh, for those that maybe think that this is something that would come later or something that can uh, be addressed at a later point in life. God, I pray that you'd be speaking to all of us this morning. I pray in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen. Well, as I said, it's, it's our gift day Sunday, and you might be expecting um, a sermon on starting new churches and the importance of that, which is a topic that would be very near uh, to my heart and to Natalia's as we moved to Ottawa two years ago to start this church, and it started in our living room with, with some people that are even here this morning. Uh, so church planting is, is something that is very, very dear to us. Um, of course, uh, you might also be expecting a sermon on a gift day Monday, that, uh, gift day Sunday that is kind of only about money. Well, I'm going to throw a little bit of a curveball at you this morning because even though uh, this morning it is a gift day, we're going to be looking at a topic that at first glance is quite unrelated, but as we see in Mark chapter 12, it is actually very related to what is happening this morning and just these topics of giving and generosity and and investing in the kingdom of God. Before I introduce that topic, what I want to say is this. When it does come to money, we don't like talks around that very much, do we? Even though this morning is not strictly about that. If it was, you know, if I was doing 30 or 40 minutes just on the topic of money this morning, that sits uncomfortably with us, doesn't it? 
I've been involved, uh, I've had the joy of being involved in church leader, leadership for quite some time, and I've heard all sorts of comments about this, and I understand them. I've heard comments like, we talk about money too much. It comes up too much. Another one is, it's off-putting for the guest. It's off-putting for the newcomer when we talk about money. We shouldn't, we shouldn't talk about money. And the criticism kind of behind some of it is that we can think that just the preacher or the church leaders of the church, well, they just want our money. It's all they want is our money. Now, I want to hit that right on its head this morning, and I want to say this. We want your money. And we want your house. And we want your car. And we want your relationships. And we want everything that God has entrusted to you to be used for the glory of God. So if anybody wants to throw that accusation up this way this morning, I would say, yeah, you're absolutely right. But I don't want it for my glory. I don't even want it for yours or for the glory of Grace City Church. We want it for God's glory. Everything that he has given entrusted to him for his glory. And those of you that are involved in church leadership right now in this church or perhaps those visiting from, from other churches, this is, this is just part of what we have to walk. This is an uncomfortable topic. Joel, who you heard in the video, um, in the second half of that video, I remember him saying in a sermon a few years ago, he said in a sermon about money, he said, some of you are feeling very uncomfortable right now because I'm poking your God. And I thought that is just such a good way to put it. It feels that personal. We can get very defensive around. I just want to encourage us this morning, as we hear some things, yes, about money, even though that's not the main topic this morning, just to approach this, friends, with an open heart, saying, God, what is it that you want to say to me? Some of you have come in this morning with a number in your head of what you want to write down or what you want to give online towards the gift day, maybe this afternoon or at some point this week. Even in that, I want to ask you to be open to what God might do. Now, some of you think I'm saying that to say, well, you've come in with a number and God's going to say double it. Well, some of you, he might. But you know what? If you're here this morning and you know in your heart you can't do this joyfully, you can't engage in this in a way that doesn't feel like it's just like an obligation, or you're just doing it because you feel this is just what good Christians have to do, but you're not doing it joyfully, it could be that the Holy Spirit would say to you this morning, just hold off. Just hold off. Just chill. Don't, Don't worry this morning. Let's work on the heart. God is for you. He wants your heart to be in the right place. We want your heart to be in the right place. And I would even say to you again this morning, if you don't feel that you can be involved in it that way, I don't want you to feel guilt or condemnation about that. I would just encourage you just to put the brakes on a little bit this morning, and we can chat, we can work, uh, you know, uh, kind of on those conversations and that sort of thing, but we've got time. We don't need to be in a rush. It's okay. Let's all of us be open to what the Holy Spirit might lead us in in these areas this morning. Now, as I was saying, we're looking at a slightly different, well, actually quite a different topic that may seem quite disconnected, but it's certainly not from Mark chapter 12. The topic is this, it's widows. That's strange, isn't it? And we're a fairly young church in terms of demographics. We're growing uh, in the number of married couples that we would have in this church, but we're, to the best of my knowledge, and forgive me if there's someone here that I've not met yet that this would apply to, but to the best of my knowledge, there is no one in this church who is widowed for us in Ottawa, in central Ottawa, this can be a topic that feels a little bit disconnected at times. We don't consider this very often. It's not something I suspect if you're studying at Ottawa or Carleton or if you're working, you know, that you would come across very often, maybe in some cases, but certainly not on a daily basis. But it's still good for us to take some time to consider this and consider what the Bible is saying about this because it is very relevant to each of us. No matter what your marital status is, no matter if you're here and you're single this morning, you think, the topic of widows is the furthest thing from my mind. Still, this is very relevant for you this morning. So I really want to encourage you to listen in. 
Now, let's just set the scene of what's going on in Mark chapter 12. If you've been with us over the past few weeks, you know that there have been all these different exchanges between Jesus and the religious leaders. And in these verses we're looking at this morning, there isn't an exchange that way. But instead, Jesus is watching people bring gifts in. And they're bringing in alms. Alms means, it's a word that means money or gifts for the poor. And there's an offering box in the treasury. This is in the part of the temple where people are bringing in these alms. And Jesus is watching them bring in these gifts. Let's not miss that. Jesus is watching them. Remember, in our culture, even in our church culture, we can think, well, that's extremely private. Nobody gets a say in that. Maybe the church treasurer, you know, who's doing the books, maybe, maybe they get to see it, but nobody else gets to see it. In Jesus' day, that's not what it was like. Jesus is there, and he's watching them bring these gifts. And in case you're thinking, well, maybe he's just watching from a distance, and he doesn't really know how much they're bringing, well, keep reading the verses. Jesus knows exactly what is being brought. And while he's watching people bringing their gifts, a poor widow, a poor widow comes And she brings a gift, and she puts it into that offering box in the treasury. Now, this widow, described twice in these verses as a poor widow. We need to pause, and we need to just understand a little bit about what's happening here. Widows in biblical times and in ancient times are very different than the way that we would think of widows today. In those days, this is before you would have pensions like what we have them now, before you would have transferable benefits like what we have them now. These days, we can think of widows. You know, if, you, if you were to think of one or two women, for example, who had lost their husbands or, or their husbands were not around for any reason, sometimes we might be led to think that it's a little bit like um, Grace and Frankie, if you've watched that show on Netflix, where you've got these two women who live in a beach house together because their husbands aren't around anymore, and their kitchen has this like impeccable interior design that makes my kitchen look a little bit like the Costco dining area, essentially. And that's how they live their lives. And you think, well, that that doesn't look so bad. But certainly, that's not always the case. Even today, there'd be a lot of loneliness. There'd be a lot of hurt, a lot of sorrow. And then apply that to biblical times where a woman, a married woman's economic life would be wrapped up in her husband. As a woman in that culture, she would have very few of the rights and privileges that women in our culture today enjoy. So when her husband passes away, economically, she is vulnerable, like really vulnerable. She's exposed. She's, she's, she's there for others, unfortunately, to take advantage of because she has very little in the way of rights, very little in the way of protections. And often then there would be people that would prey on widows, And they would try to take advantage of the situation. And we can think, oh my goodness, how horrible, how horrible that must be. Good thing we're the the modern people. You know, good thing we're enlightened. We don't don't do that. Well, Well, do we? Just a few weeks ago, CBC Ottawa ran a story about the provincial government trying to uh, crack down on aggressive door-to-door sales tactics. I don't know if you read that article or have seen that in the news. But in the article... What is spoken about is that the people that are most often the victims in those situations are the elderly. Now imagine in that situation where you have an elderly widow. Imagine you have a a dear woman, 75, maybe 80 years of age, her husband having passed away, her husband that she lived with for many, many years being the one that kind of took the lead on making sure that the roof didn't leak, 
and the heating system in the house worked and all of these things, and he's not there anymore. And there's a knock on the door. Hi, I'm just wondering if you'd like to have a free inspection of your heating system. Oh, well, yeah, that'd be okay. Come on in. And the man, the salesman, goes downstairs, and then he comes back up. Oh, bad news. Bad news. Uh, Your heating system, it's on its last legs. And he imagines in the middle of February, and it's freezing cold. Your heating system's on its last legs. But but good news, we've got a 30% off sale, and it goes till the end of the week. It's a good thing I came around and gave you that free inspection. And this poor woman is there thinking, well, my heating system goes in the middle of winter. That's not going to be good, but this person's telling me I need a new system, and if there's no one else around that she can draw on for another opinion or to help through that process, you can see how easy it would be for her to be preyed upon. This is what the article is talking about, elderly people. I made up that scenario, but it's not hard to imagine that taking place, but the article refers to elderly people being taken advantage of. So I want to ask you this, have we really come as far as a culture as we think that we have? For all of our enlightenment, for all of our education, for all of our, you know, rights and privileges, have we really, has that really got us as far along as we might like to think? We, well, no doubt things are a bit better, but we've got a lot further to go. This isn't just a cultural problem. This isn't just a problem that we can look at in different points of history. This is a human problem. There's something so evil and so wicked in the human heart that it would look to prey on those that are the most vulnerable. And the Bible refers to them in usually in, in one of three categories. Kind of the poor is kind of the, 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 the category that's the catch-all, but then it also speaks specifically about orphans. And what's the other one? Widows. The poor, the orphaned, and the widows. What about personally for the widow? What would it have been like for her? I've been speaking about it a little bit culturally, where economically she would have really have been on her own. For widows in that time, they would have suffered an economic death, but they would have also suffered a type of social death. They would have been seen a little bit as, as, as outcast. They would have been caught kind of in this no man's land where they would have been joined to their husband's family, but their kids may have grown up and not be around and not as available, and then the family of their husband might not want to look out for them. Maybe they didn't have the economic means to look out for them. So they often found themselves in this no-man's land where nobody is helping to provide for them. Nobody is looking out for them. And you can read about what the church is supposed to do if you read in Acts where there's specific instruction that is given for caring for the widows and the call on the church. That's a different sermon, but you can see why there was a need for that. Often these poor widows would be left completely on their own. And some of the words that we would come across uh, in, in, in terms of the, um, the description of Widows in scripture would be mourning and weeping, speaking about the emotional turmoil that they would find themselves in. So not only is there this this economic thing at play, but also just this deeply emotional poverty that they're feeling. Just loneliness. I know this is a, a very bleak picture, but I want us to understand what it was like in those times. So what does the Bible have to say about this? What does God feel about this himself, about widows who in that time and even in our time today are exploited and people preying upon them, trying to use their situation to their own advantage? Well, we can find out something that God himself says in Isaiah. This is Isaiah chapter 10, verses 1 to 4. It says this. It says, "'Woe to those who decree iniquitous decrees.'" 
Well, that's a bit funny language. What's, what's happening here? Well, we'll keep reading. And the writers who keep writing oppression to turn aside the needy from justice and to rob the poor of my people of their right that widows may be their spoil. You get that language? That widows would be their spoil. That widows would be the, the thing they gain. You know, the spoil of somebody going to steal. That widows might be their spoil and that they may make the fatherless orphans their prey. What will you do on the day of punishment in the ruin that will come from afar? That first word, woe. That's not woe, slow down. Whoa, whoa, whoa. That's not what's Woe. Whoa, you do not want to be the type of person that God puts his judgment on and the type of person that exploits the widow and the orphan. Woe to them. Do not envy them. Because God takes this very, very seriously. So let's be clear. God loves the poor, the orphan, and the widow. They have a very special place in the heart of God. You can't get away from that in Scripture. The poor, the orphan, and the widow have a very special place in the heart of God. Now, we may be led to think, but God loves all people the same, doesn't he? Surely God loves all people the same. Well, yes and no. Yes, in the sense, in terms of the measure of his love. In terms of the measure of his love. God loves all people the same, infinitely. It's absolutely immeasurable. I, in some of my spare time, I like reading. I'm a little bit of a geek this way. I like reading about planets and solar systems. Is that weird? Maybe it's not weird. Okay, I think it's kind of cool. Go with me. We're just going to say it's cool, all right? And I like reading about scientists that, that have these telescopes, and they're looking up into the sky, and so often there are articles out about the universe being so much greater than they had first imagined. So much greater. So many more stars. So many more galaxies than they had imagined. And God's love, in terms of the measurement of God's love, it's kind of like this. When you think you found the, the, the boundaries of it, when you think, okay, well, surely I've, I've measured it now. I see it kind of in its fullness. God just shows you there's another dimension to it. There's just another level. It's absolutely immeasurable. We cannot measure it. How high, how wide, how deep? We can't measure it. It's absolutely immeasurable. The amount of love that God has for all people, all people, Rich, poor, no matter what race, no matter what other example you want to give or label you want to give, absolutely immeasurable love. So in that sense, God does love all people the same. But in the sense of the expression of that love, does God love all people the same? The answer to that is no. Let me give you an example to this. My wife Natalia and I, we have two children. We have Zara Grace, she's four. Joshua Levi turns uh, two next week. They are our children. Biologically, they are ours as well. We love them immeasurably. We absolutely love our two children. Now imagine that we adopted a child. Imagine there was a child that was five or six years old and had been in foster care and had moved from home to home and, 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 and different challenging situations that way for a young child, never knowing a permanent home, being served by those that had a heart to serve them for a time, but knowing that eventually, hopefully, they would find a permanent home. And as beautiful as that would be, how challenging as well that would be for that young child. Imagine if in one of those homes, and this is hard to imagine, I recognize that, but imagine if one of those, in one of those homes, somebody in a position of authority abused that child. And it started verbally, somebody really raising their voice, getting really loud. And now loud noises 
anything that's loud, even, even loud laughter, sends that child into a feeling of fear and anxiousness. What's going to happen next? Imagine Natalia and I adopt that child, that child coming in to our family as our child. The measure of our love would be the same. This would be a child, biologically not the same as Zara or Joshua, but still a child made in the image of God that would be just as much ours, even legally just as much ours, who would also be loved immeasurably, just like our other children. But would the expression of our love be the same to that child? No, it wouldn't. The expression of our love would need to change. Those of you that know my daughter Zara, she's, she's, she's a very strong-willed child. I love it. Same with Joshua. We pray every day for, uh, for Joshua, given his name, we pray that he will be strong and courageous. And we've got this great photo of Joshua on his little trike at the top of the stairs in our old house with a little grin on his face, about to take this down, evil Knievel style, down over these stairs. I'm like, Joshua, what are you thinking? Then it hit me. I pray for my son to be strong and courageous. What does that look like before, before it's strong and courageous? It's, it's stubborn and a bit foolish, probably, is what it looks like in the early days. But those are our kids. There are times with our kids where I need to speak firmly to them. I don't mind saying that to you. I do it out of love. I do it in a way that I trust is appropriate. But there are times when I have to say, Zara, my daughter, listen to me. Listen to your father. I'm asking you not to hit your brother over the head with that baseball bat. Don't do that. Sometimes it takes very clear, and I would even say appropriately administered, firm language. My daughter, listen to me. Listen to the words of your father. Now, remember the example that I just gave you of the adopted child couldn't do that with that child the same way. The expression of my love would need to change because of the child's experience. Are you tracking with me? For the poor, for the orphan, for the widow, does God love them the same? In terms of the measure, yes. The expression of it is different. God makes sure that his love is expressed in a way that absolutely meets the needs of those that he is expressing that love to He is a good father, knowing us perfectly and knowing how that needs to be expressed. So while the amount of it is the same, the expression of it is different. Now you might be thinking, what in the world does this have to do with us? What in the world does this have to do with a gift day? And here's the thing. The Bible talks about the people of God as a widow. Friends who are here this morning, and you've given your life to Jesus, that means that the Bible talks about you and me as a people who are widowed or have been widowed. And not only that, but we chose to be widowed. If you read through the Bible, if you're reading in Exodus, if you're reading about the Israelites, the people of God, they chose to turn their backs on their husband on their God, on the one that was to provide for them, on the one that was to protect them. They chose to be widows. And we do the exact same thing. Listen to these words from Psalm 68, verses 4 to 6. This is what it says. Sing to God, sing praises to his name. Lift up a song to him who rides through the deserts. His name is the Lord. Exalt before him. Father of the fatherless and protector of widows is God in his holy habitation. God settles the solitary in a home and he leads the prisoners to prosperity, but the rebellious dwell 
in a parched land. This is such an example of grace, of the grace of God. Because what this is saying is that for a nation, in that case the Israelites, who had chosen to be widows, who had chosen to turn their back on their God, on their protector, on the one who was their refuge and their strength, they chose to turn their backs on him. God still is describing himself as a father of the fatherless and protector of widows. In spite of their rebellion, in spite of them turning their back on their protector, choosing to be widows. Who chooses to be a widow? We do. And when we deny God, and we choose not to trust him, and when we say, God, I know better than you do, that is what we are choosing. But God in his grace does not leave us that way. He still chooses to be the father of the fatherless and the protector of widows, even those that choose it voluntarily. He is a gracious, gracious God. Nowhere do we see the grace of God more clearly expressed than in the sending of his son, Jesus Christ. Let's think about it in the context of the Old Testament. For those of you that are familiar with the story, for those that aren't, I'll I'll try to explain it a little bit. God made people to have perfect union with him, to enjoy relationship with him for all time. And he gave them one commandment, do not eat of the fruit of that tree. Well, if he was loving, why, why would he give that commandment? He gave it because he didn't want to make them as robots. He made them with the freedom to choose themselves, including the freedom to choose whether they would obey his word. And they chose not to, and we've been choosing not to ever since. God was always supposed to be our protector. God was always supposed to be the ultimate example of our perfect husband. But we turned our back on our protector. And we, as I said, humanity has been doing it ever since. All around this room, there would be different examples of that. But God, as the protector of the widow, chose not to leave us exposed. Remember the story of the the woman who's at home and there's a knock on the door and somebody kind of praying on her. That's you and that's me, spiritually speaking. We were exposed and the ravages of a sinful world coming after us to try to destroy us. And God would have been completely within his rights to say, well, you chose. You've chosen to be a widow. Why would would you choose to be a widow? You've chosen not to acknowledge me as your protector. You are on your own. But in his grace, he doesn't leave us that way. He sends Jesus Christ, his perfect son, on a rescue mission. What is the ultimate example of God as the protector of the widow? It's the sending of Jesus to rescue us, to rescue the spiritually widowed, you and me, the spiritually orphaned, you and me, the spiritually poor, you and me. And that is exactly why the poor, the orphan, and the widow is so on the heart of God because it is such a picture of the gospel. And we can so move away from this in very comfortable Ottawa, even central Ottawa, where our salaries are generous and we have our qualifications and life for most, for many, is quite comfortable We can forget this, and we can delegate it, and we can just kind of think, well, this is stuff that other people should do. This is a non-optional activity for churches. It's to serve the poor. It's to consider the orphan, to consider the widow. This is so on God's heart because it's a picture of what Jesus has done for us in the spiritual sense. We are all the poor. We are all the orphan. We are all the widow. 
We need to turn back to God. We need to turn back to our protector. We need to turn back to the one who has given us everything and and gave everything to win us again when he would have been completely within his rights to leave us on our own. Still, he came for us. And that's why in Mark chapter 12, this widow who has two coins equaling one penny Commentators estimate that the money she had in her pocket was roughly equal to about one one hundred and twentieth of a day's wage. I worked it out the other day. I won't bore you with the numbers. It works out today to about one or two dollars at the most. What do you buy with one or two dollars after church today? What do you buy for that? Maybe you buy a loaf of discounted bread. Really. Maybe you buy a loaf of discounted bread that's about to go off in, in, in a day or two, so it's 50% off. Maybe you get that. Maybe you get two, three, maybe pieces of fruit. You don't get much in terms of substance that is going to fill you, that is going to carry you through the rest of the day, let alone tomorrow, for one or two dollars. And this widow comes, and she has her two coins, and she puts them in the offering box. And Jesus is watching this, and Jesus calls his disciples around, and he commends her. And he says, this poor widow has given far more than the wealthy who gave out of their abundance. We can also understand that, who gave out of their surplus. Natalia and I have had some conversations about this this week because we've really been feeling this, even for us. We lead this church, and we can lean into this. Of Well, we'll give it, well, what are our financial obligations that we have to do to everybody else? And then out of what's left, what do we then want to do with that? Friends, there's no avoiding this in Mark chapter 12. This is not how the widow gave. Do you get that? She didn't think, well, what... What is it that I need to live on for the rest of the day? What are, how much is my phone bill? How much is the power bill? How much are all of those other things? She gave to God everything that she had. She put it all in. Oh, man, I know that's uncomfortable. I know, but I, I, if I were to preach anything but that right now, I would not be preaching it faithful to what is in this book. And Jesus makes it very, very clear. All that she had to live on. He says that she gives it. Why? Because she knew God was her protector and not the two coins in her pocket. Friends, what is your protector this morning? The reason I wanted to preach this in the context of understanding widows in Scripture and our spiritual similarities is because this is, this is applicable to something far greater than a gift day. This is about life, all of life. Trusting God daily, not giving to God what is left, what is left over, but trusting him first, saying, God, I choose to trust you as my provider. I've seen what you've done in sending your son for me. You have given the most clear example of your commitment to doing me good. I choose to trust you with this. The lesson of the widow is this. Generosity has far more to do with what is in your heart than with what is in your wallet. I'm going to invite Joe and Holly to come up and get set up. We're going to sing worship to this Jesus. We're going to take communion together, remembering the price that Jesus paid for your...